Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to another edition of the Bad Podcast. Wrong. That was for Ari. This is uh, Doug Maurice <laughs> with Ari Wasserman and Bill Landis. We used to be the Bad Podcast uh, back in the day, and then we realized that having a searchable name that people might have any clue what we're actually talking about might be beneficial. So this is Fuck I Talk. Uh, we have a lot of things we're going to talk about today. We usually hit one topic. We're going to hit at least two, take some questions, bounce around a little bit. Uh, Ohio State coming off that 30-23 double, not double, single single overtime win at Wisconsin and going to Penn State, which last time they were there did take double overtime in 2014. So this is what Ari had a good idea about. Like we're trapped in this little overtime uh, world right now, coming off this game, looking at the Penn State game from two years ago. Um, how do you view the Wisconsin game, Ari? Do you view it as what everybody in 2014 said was like a character-building win that helped propel the Buckeyes that season after getting that win at Penn State? Or was this more like, the Michigan State game last year that they lost, and it, you know, maybe exposed some problems that they did did fix. It just so happened they didn't lose this one. What was? Did you feel this was more character building, or was this maybe more like a loss that just didn't happen to be a loss? There were like fifty eight seconds left, I think, and I was in the computer or in the press box, frantically banging on my computer away at a story about how Ohio State lost. And if you remember correctly from that game, Michigan, I mean, uh, Wisconsin, it's the same thing. You can't remember what team it is. Wisconsin was driving three yards, four yards, five yards, five yards, very slowly as the time uh, was ticking down. And it seemed like they were doing exactly what Michigan State did to Ohio State last year um, and putting together a drive, and they were about to kick a field goal and win the game. Now, there was a holding call in the middle of that drive that ended that drive. All right, we're just going to real quickly. Go ahead. That drive started at the Wisconsin 25-yard line with 3.57 left. They went 7-yard run, 4-yard run, 9-yard run, 7-yard run. They got past midfield, 1st and 10 from the Ohio State 48. So say if they would have gotten to the 30, that would have been a 47-yard yeah. field goal. That was a, be a little long, but they were 18 yards away from a reasonable field goal. Corey Clement gained 4 yards on 1st down, but it was wiped out by a 10-yard holding penalty. All of a sudden, it's 1st and 20. That ended the drive, and Ohio State got the ball back, sat on it, forced overtime, and it went from the Michigan State game and then turned into the Penn State game. From 2014, where they miraculously and triumphantly won off of JT Barrett's sprained MCL in overtime. Um, and they ended up beating 
Wisconsin in overtime and getting the win. But in my mind, they, for a while there, the three of us were up in the press box looking at each other like, what are we doing? They lost. What are our ideas for how we're going to approach a loss? They were so close to losing, I don't think people realize it. And that's why I think I lean a little bit more like Michigan State last year than I do Penn State 2014. And it is an interesting debate because Wisconsin is a lot better than Penn State was two years ago. But that's kind of the way I view it. I mean, a good point is, and you guys have made this point, again, the the Penn State game two years ago, that was not a great Penn State team. It was a really good Penn State defense, not a great Penn State team. Yeah. Michigan State last year was a really good, good Michigan team. State team. This is a really good Wisconsin team. So this wasn't anything of like they underestimated him or this. This was just you're playing a really good team and they're about to beat you. So, um, Bill, did you think they were going to lose? Like, yeah. did you, you thought that was what was about to happen? I thought it's weird. Like, I thought in the third quarter that they were going to win because they completely dominated the third quarter. I don't know. I think Wisconsin might have had like 11 yards in the third quarter. They only had like four plays or something. I think. Yeah, yeah, like it was it was complete switch from the first. Like it was 313 yards in the first half and 11 in the third quarter. And I thought, okay, this is where it flips. Ohio State's going to win, and Ohio State might win by like two or three touchdowns. It just sort of felt like it was leaning that way. Um, and then JT Barrett threw an interception in the rain. It rained for 30 seconds, and in those 30 seconds, JT Barrett threw an interception. Um, going into the end zone, and I, and that's when I it, it turned for me again back the other way, and I thought Ohio State can lose this game because um, they weren't playing well offensively, and it was weird to look up at like the box score at the end of the game because in my head, and I think in Ari's head too, we were just like they were play, they played terribly on offense, they didn't throw the ball well at all, and then you look up and they had 226 passing yards. It was kind of a bizarre thing, but yeah, I thought in the fourth quarter that they could could certainly lose, and I thought they were going to lose, and I, I was preparing to write it that way, and then. They got it to overtime because of a holding penalty like like you just laid out and, and flipped it, obviously. But, yeah, I thought even more so. I don't even know. I'm trying to think back to last year at Michigan State and whether or not I thought they were going to lose. Well, that's and that's what I was going to ask. I think I remember the Michigan State game last year thinking, well, they're not going to lose. Like, they're going to figure out a way to not lose because they were undefeated. They were number one the whole year. They had the whole team back for the national championship. You didn't think anybody was as good as them. And so I think I remember the Michigan State game being more shocked of like, oh my gosh, they actually lost. Yeah. Like you just sort of assumed even like, you know, Michigan State starts driving like, well, maybe like Darren Lee will tip a pass and enter, you know, like you sort of figured they'd figure it out. Um, I remember being stunned when it happened, when the field goal went stunned. in. stunned. Like, yeah. no, they won't, they're not going to actually lose. This is going to be one of those games of like, man. You guys got lucky again. You didn't play well. And the thing is, found a way. You got yeah. You got to understand too. Is like we covered like twenty games in between losses. It's right? insane. It's, it's a crazy. long time. Like, and it's a long, a lot of work and a lot of story ideas and a lot of talking and planning. And from our perspective, twenty games is an eternity. So when it finally happened, it was like I cannot believe. It. And I don't want to go off on a tangent, but I kind of felt. Ohio State was going to beat Wisconsin the entire game until that last drive when they didn't have any more time left. Right. It's like when you're on the brink of losing and it's not there's a quarter and a half left, it becomes real. Then it doesn't seem real until it actually is real and they're lining up for a field goal or getting close to that point. Because and I think what has happened a lot over the years is there are oftentimes when a team gets out on Ohio State and then you see that team shoot itself in the foot yeah. and call stupid plays and why did they run a double reverse there and oh my gosh, didn't they watch any film on this at all? You can't run wide on them. Why aren't they doing the running up the middle and the tight end passes that were working in the first half? 
And then you see a team that had a shot completely blow the shot. So to Wisconsin's credit, like, they didn't blow anything. And they did I, throw that weird pick. When was that pick? Was it right after – after? Yeah. It was right after JT threw his pick and it set up the touchdown to kind of erase JT's big error. But it wasn't a complete fundamental breakdown. But I thought I thought that Wisconsin quarterback was going to throw four picks like yeah. that. Yeah. No, that he agree. only threw that one was like, well, yeah. I thought that guy had ten throws like that in him. Um, so it's 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 very interesting. Here, here's a point I want to make, and I see see if you guys agree or disagree with this. One thing that that people made a big <clears> point <throat> about, and, and again here at the uh, Buckeye Talk podcast here with the cleveland.com slash OSU coverage team, we do not like blessings in disguise. Um, nothing is in disguise here. Um, we're all we're pro-blessing. We're anti-disguise. So <laughs> in 2014, that Penn State game, that was a team that all of a sudden JT Barrett had to become the quarterback as a redshirt freshman because Braxton Miller got hurt. That was a team that had the early loss to Virginia Tech. That was a team that had all these new guys, right, that we didn't know anything about yet. Um, it felt to me maybe if you want to buy any of that at all, and JT Barrett has sort of said, you know, that's when I got pushed to the edge and if you found people. There was more to find out about that team, I feel like. Even though this year's team is very young, the program is at a very different place, I feel like. So to me, I don't think they needed to, the Wisconsin game to prove anything. I don't think they needed the Wisconsin game to get pushed to the edge. Even though we were questioning how good really is Oklahoma um, or you know they haven't had a game quite like this. I think it's different in that if that was a moment in 2014, the Penn State game was that moment for that team that got everybody over the hump. I don't think there was a hump here. Like, I, I don't think, like, that this will be a turning point for this Ohio State team because even though they're young, I don't think they needed the turning point because they've been playing really well, and they're just good. So I'm not – I don't so, view this the same as 2014 Penn State because I don't think this team needed 2014 Penn State. Well, let me, re- let me re- respond to your question with a question. Is a turning point really a turning point when the turning happens? Or do you go back and say it's a turning point once it's convenient to point no, to? No, like when you're writing the book and you're looking for the <laughs> right, turning point. Right, like, like after the Penn State game that Sunday, they were on the bus. Everybody was thinking, like, this is it, guys. Yeah. So, but but I, but actually, I do think that to some degree, I think they did. Okay. I think there was some in the moment that next Monday. Urban Meyer has told the stories about JT Barrett with the injured knee going into double overtime into the student section and finding a way. I feel like he was beating that drum pretty quick after it happened. But yeah, he was talking about that after the game. He was talking about like after the game, like he does like his haunch, his his stance, and like pulling off his headphones so he could hear the crowd and watching. Yeah, he was immediately after the game they were talking about that. So that was that was a a thing. As soon as it happened, I don't know if this, I don't know if they went into this game thinking like this is it. This is where this this defines our season from here on out. And maybe the Penn State game wasn't quite that going into it, and ended up kind of being that in the end. But I I think I like half agree with you and half disagree with you. That I didn't think this was that kind of game going into it. But winning the way they had to win against the team they played on the road, all that stuff. Like, Wisconsin's good. Wisconsin's way better than I thought they would be. So I think there is something to gain from winning a game like that the way that they did. Maybe it's not. I don't know. There are two different things. It's hard for me to compare it to 2014 because 2014 was playing bad against a bad team and you almost lost. And this was playing an average game 
against a good Wisconsin team on the road and finding a way to get a win. The I one think they're thing, both valuable in different ways. The one thing I just can't get out of my head of is one holding call, one more 10-yard gain, and the entire game was the same, and then it's a loss instead of a win. <clears throat> and that's why I can't – I mean, winning a close game on the road against the top 10 team is always huge, and I don't want to discredit that. It's big for them. It's another validating win on a season where they didn't really have one, and maybe this is the best win they have this year now. Uh, but they could have, and some people might say should have lost, and Michigan State, like last year, just did it at the end, and Wisconsin didn't. So the Penn State game in 2014, Ohio State was 5-1 and one going into that game. Um, Penn State was unranked, and Penn State wound up 2-6 and six in the Big Ten that year. Uh, Wisconsin's not going to wind up two and six. So I do think that's part of it too is like they didn't play well at Penn State and almost lost to an inferior team. I, like they didn't play that well at Wisconsin, but I feel like, I mean, they definitely got outplayed by Wisconsin, but there was a big chunk of that that was Wisconsin outplaying them, not Ohio State playing down to Penn State's level. Yeah, you I know? Agree with so, that. yeah. Like the thing, I do, and I think the point that Ari has been making is a very valid one in that, like in taking a look at this Brown season, I keep getting caught in this vortex that some people agree with, some don't, of like, don't only look on Sunday. Don't only look at wins and losses. It's about more than that. And I do think in some kind of way, you can look at this Ohio State game in a similar way. It's, yes, it's about whether you win or lose on Saturday, but it's not the only thing. And that easily could have been a loss if some guy doesn't have a holding call. The guys on the Ohio State team don't even know that guy's name. That Wisconsin lineman who had the holding call on the final what could have been game-winning field goal drive. That guy changed their season, potentially, right? So I don't think you can only say win or loss, that's it. That's the only thing that matters. That's all that tells us about a team, you know? I do think being hard to beat, and I wrote a story about this that you'll have seen by now. It's was going up Tuesday. I think being hard to beat is a thing. But the thing that I, that I think is a little different is how would you have thought about this team if they had lost to Wisconsin? Would it have been an understandable loss on the road against a really good team? Ohio State didn't play great. Wisconsin played really well. They can get over it and still be a playoff team. Stuff happens. Nobody wins every game. Would you have viewed it more like that? Or would that have been more like, wow, they lost. Now I have huge questions about this team. Because if the point is they're a holding call away from losing, if they had lost, would it have greatly changed how you would be looking at them right now? Here's the funny thing. Now, while we are... Watching the game live, we have a live chat. And in that live chat, when things aren't going well, especially in big games, fans are very vocal. And we have a pulse on Twitter and in that live chat of how people are looking at it. And during that game, if you were watching the comments the way that we are, everybody was kind of flipping out a little bit about the offensive approach. They're not running uh, Weber enough. The passing routes are off. They're not throwing it enough. Why does JT Barrett have 20 carries? And there were a lot of questions of all the terrible things, or at least seemingly terrible things at the time that was happening to Ohio State, or what Ohio State was doing offensively. Then the second we got back up to the press box, and we had written some stories confirming some of those trepidations that fans had, there were comments of, what are you talking about? It was just a tough game against a good team. It happens. 
And I think that the security blanket of just the W makes things okay. And I think that the only point I'm trying to make, and it isn't that they don't deserve to win, to win the game. They got the stop. They did it in overtime. They won on the road against a top-10 team. They deserve it. But what I do think is, is that I do not want to give Ohio State that security blanket of nothing is wrong because they escaped and can go another week without worrying about it. Because all the things that were wrong on that field are still wrong. They didn't have to pay for it, and I think that that loss, the comments would have been a lot different at the end if that holding call didn't happen than they were with this win. And that's my only point. Well, the win like creates a vacuum, right? Because we, I think we try to take a longer view most of the time, particularly because a lot of the games they play are really boring. So we always view things in the context of, well, first it was, what does this mean for Oklahoma? Then what does this mean now, like probably for the Michigan game? And winning a Big Ten championship and then winning a national championship. And I know Urban Meyer doesn't talk about that stuff, but it's the most interesting thing to talk about is can Ohio State win a national championship? So the questions don't disappear just because Ohio State won, but I think it's hard for fans because they're so caught up in the win to get stuck in that vacuum and not worry about what giving up 313 yards in the first half to Wisconsin means for playing Michigan five weeks from now. Well, Michigan does a very similar thing offensively to Wisconsin. And it's very easy to go to work on Monday. Yeah. With a with a win and talk about the game of, wow, did you see how JT closed it out at the end? No one's talking about why could nobody get open for three quarters. Everybody's talking about how awesome the overtime win was. But it just, that win kind of makes you feel a lot different about a team. Which, it's understandable. Which is, I mean, you should. Yeah, you should enjoy it. That's the whole point of watching a game. Yeah. No, but I think, but I think you can do both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, yeah. You feel better at work on Saturday, on Monday with the win. Absolutely. Um, the thing I think – I think I would have viewed the game very much similarly, win or lose, because I feel like I'm viewing it mostly as tough opponent on the road stuff happens. Um, because they didn't – if they had gone in the tank down 16-6 and had come out after halftime and looked terrible, yeah. they took the lead. You know, like after JT threw the interception, then they got the pick back. They had two consecutive touchdown drives, I think. They take – the 2016 lead after being down 16-6. Then Wisconsin answers, mm-hmm. right, with the, with the go-ahead touchdown drive. Then Ohio State comes back and gets a, a field goal to tie. Let's say, and this is a thing, this happens all the time. And I think people can get lost. So much comes down to a kicker, man. Clemson should have lost. We were looking at it on the, like a, on the live when we were driving. Yeah. Clemson should have a loss right now if the North Carolina State kicker could make a 30-yard field goal. They don't, all because of a kicker for North Carolina State. Nothing else in the whole thing changed, right? So if we were covering Clemson, I think we would say, it's lovely that the North Carolina State kicker missed a 30-yard field goal at the end of the game. That changes nothing else about this game, which is, you should have lost North Carolina State. Clemson has problems, right? So let's say Tyler Durbin had missed the 31-yard field goal that tied the game at 23. Again, that kind of thing happens all the time, right? It wouldn't have changed anything about the fact that Ohio State came back, that they didn't give up, that they found a way to fight. Then the walk-on kicker misses a 30-yard field goal, and all of a sudden you lose at Wisconsin. You know, like all these little things happen. I would have judged the totality of that game, win or lose, as tough game on the road. They got down by not playing well, got outplayed in the first half, fought back in the second half, and then whatever. But I don't think – I think the the first part of that, being down, 
coming back, making it a game matters more than was it a win, was it a loss, was it an overtime or not, you know? I think that I would have judged it either way because, again, I mean, right? I mean, the, the Clemson should have a loss. Yeah, no, I think I agree. I think I the questions that I have coming out of this game are the same. They would have been yeah. the same, win or, loss, win or lose. It was a game they won by a touchdown in overtime, and nothing that happened in the four plays they ran in overtime did anything to erase the questions that I had going into it. So, yeah, I think... I would have viewed it the same way, win or, win or lose. Yeah. So, do we agree that it's more like Michigan State? <laughs> I think maybe. Do we, we agree with me? I mean, I think the feeling. The, your main point about that—that that, that feeling on that final Wisconsin drive, like, oh my gosh, this now feels like the drive that Michigan State made. Because the whole thing about that Michigan State game, a big part of it was Ohio State lost to Michigan State last year, not because of their defense. You know, if you hold Michigan State to seventeen, you should be able to score, yeah. right? The offense, and we all know, play calling and all that. The offense was a big issue there. But in the moment, the defense didn't get the stop that was needed mm-hmm. to win the game. And this defense got the stop thanks to the holding penalty. You know, So I completely agree. I think based on that feeling on that drive and what we're talking about, how you view a team after the fact, um, I would agree it's more like Michigan State. Let me ask one more question, though. I'm scared. I think one of my favorite things that I've written in the past year is that Ohio State should have lost to Indiana last year and it would have been better for them because the committee would have forgiven it as a fluke loss. It would have snapped them out of their funk and I think they would have had a better chance to beat Michigan State than they would have gone to the Big Ten. They would have had everything still in front of them, but people would have freaked out in the moment if they had lost to Indiana, if Indiana had lost, had made that catch, right? Yeah. Here's the secret about the Wisconsin game. It didn't matter. It did not matter. The only thing it did was keep alive whatever slim chance you think Ohio State has of making the playoff as a one-loss team if they lose to Michigan. Everything else was not affected by whether they win or lose at Wisconsin, which is if you really want to control your own destiny, you got to beat Michigan, you got to win the Big Ten championship, and if you do those two things, you are going to the playoff. Those would have been true whether they won or lost to Wisconsin. That is not a debate. Yeah, I agree with that. Not a debate. Especially, a, yeah. I mean, a one-loss Big Ten Ohio State that's the Big Ten champion and redeemed their loss, because I'll probably face was Because if Wisconsin would have won, Wisconsin would have absolutely been in the driver's seat from the West. They certainly would have been in the Big Ten championship then. Okay, so given that, that the secret is it didn't matter. We hope you enjoyed the game. It didn't matter. Is there any part of you that thinks Ohio State would have been better off losing? If my well, theory is they would have been better off losing to Indiana last year... Is there any part of you well, it, buy it, the blessing in disguise that a loss can help you get your stuff together? Because I think a loss absolutely helped Ohio State get their stuff together last year. They had fundamental changes in the way they approached yes. the game after they lost. That, as you pointed out in the Indiana story that you wrote, that didn't happen sooner than when it was needed sooner. Do we think that Ohio State needs to make fundamental changes to the way they approach everything right now? Or do we think it's just a team with young players who are still trying to figure everything out? I don't think it's yeah, it's not. I don't think it's to the point where it was last year. I think there's some things. like last year was like a bunch of really good players. And Dontre Wilson said on Monday that like after they won the Nash, the way he put it, which I thought was pretty cool, the that there was a lot of individual. There were a lot of individual thoughts going on for people, which is understandable. You got your trophy, you got the championship. You're a valuable player who's going to get drafted high. You do think, and I mean, that's human nature. 
I think a lot of the stuff with last year's issues weren't about being good at football and were more about other things. I think if they have issues this year, I think it's more about being good at football. So I don't know that they would have needed a loss to figure it out. I think if they have issues that they're pretty aware of it. Yeah, I don't know. I guess like losing creates more of a sense of urgency. But I still think they come out of the Wisconsin game like knowing that they have things they need to fix because they almost lost. And granted, Wisconsin's really good. Wisconsin's way better than any of us thought they were, right? As good on defense as I thought, much better on offense than okay. I thought. Um, and maybe that lessens it because it was like, you played a good team and you almost lost, was on the road, whatever. Um, I don't know. It's hard for me to say now that they would have been better off losing. Like, ask, because to me, ask think, me three weeks from now if they ended up losing to like, Maryland or something. You need a kick like in the butt when you lose to a team that's way worse than you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it didn't feel like they were losing to a team that was way worse than them. It felt like they were losing to a team that was pretty good. Is worse than them, but was pretty good and, like you said, played great. So I don't know if they needed a loss to kick. I think it was enough of a kick without having to lose. Because isn't the same can be true for Nebraska now, too, right? Yeah. they play Nebraska, I don't know if it's a little bit different because it's at home, but, like, the Nebraska game doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, just turn off your TV sets until November 26th. Nothing matters. Um we should write that that week. There should be a headline of why this game doesn't matter Every before week. we play it. No, but this whenever they play anybody from the West. Yeah. That's an interesting point. Yeah, I mean it's one of those things. that's like I love the playoff. I think they, but I mean like the whole if if your argument is like college football has the best regular season of any sport, like this is kind of the thing you're talking about. That like when Ohio State was number one in the country and lost at Wisconsin in 2010. Guess what? Bye-bye. It bye. mattered. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody that year was saying, well, I mean, we, we can overcome this loss. It was yeah. like, you were number one, now you're dead, and your national championship hopes are gone. But not mattering. The, the not mattering games, I think, only has an impact on a select few programs. Oh, for sure. Like, like, like wholesale change to the college football world with the playoff is great. Ohio State is probably one of four programs in college football that has the does not matter games. Right. <laughs> and I don't think I, I didn't see like the intro on the broadcast, but I'm imagining they didn't come in and say, Welcome to this game. Truly it doesn't matter. <laughs> like nobody wants to admit that, but when you change your postseason, you gotta give a look. I would take the give and take I mean, I'd rather have the playoff and have the secret be that a game like that doesn't matter than have the two game BCS yeah. bull crap thing and have every game matter, but that's just um, a small reality. I think our if you like our coverage, and you clearly do if you've made it this far into the podcast, <laughs> stay tuned for our five-part series of Why This Week Doesn't Matter. <laughs> <laughs> and, and by expressing that it doesn't matter, I don't think we're going to interviews on Monday of that week. Yeah, no. Well, yeah, seriously. <laughs> we should just what protest we don't it. don't go to anything? And we, and, and we wow. write, like... We just we, write from our couches for five days. And, and we explain why... We're not at interviews because whatever they're saying for that game doesn't matter doesn't because matter. the yeah. game is a void in our lives and on the schedule. That's like so avant-garde. <laughs> like I can't even imagine it. Um, okay, time for our um, fake ad because we don't have a real ad. Um, we understand that our seven-minute underwear discussion last <laughs> week made some people uncomfortable. So we'll try to uh, avoid that a little bit. And we're going to give a shout-out to Taco Bell. Taco Bell, the preferred <laughs> meal of Ari, Bill, and Doug when we are in Beloit, Wisconsin at 3 o'clock in the morning after driving from Madison in a hurricane. Um, and we might try to add a poll question here. I ordered a double uh, tortilla with chicken and cheese inside of it at Taco Bell at 3 o'clock in the morning in Beloit, Wisconsin. And I asked for the double dia. 
Yeah, quesadilla. Double dia. It's like a double dia, double quesadilla. And that's what it's called on the menu. It's, it's spelled out that way. Double yeah. dia on the menu. And I and the person who was taking my order sort of paused and looked at me and said, you mean the double dilla? <laughs> and she didn't say... She said it in a condescending tone like yeah. Doug was an idiot. Let's just... Let's just... So... Um, you could have, and, that could have been your curse right there. I, I, I was about to drop it. I had a forty. I had like the rapid fire forty five minute discussion in my head. Am I going to say the a word right here? Um, so, what do you think? I feel like we could call Taco Bell headquarters. Is it possible that Taco Bell truly pronounces that? With okay, the here's the question. The question is: is the How yes. is it pronounced? How would you order it if you went to Taco Bell? And a million times out of a million times, I would say double dia. Yeah, I would never say Dilla, ever. It's not what it's called. It's not what it is. Would you ever call? Would you ever order a case of Dilla? I'm sure it has been ordered that way. I know, but I'm just saying that means that you're unaware of the double L silent in Spanish. But, but is it that thing? I'm wondering: is it possible that the correct? Obviously, we know what the correct pronunciation in Spanish is. Is it possible that there's a different Taco Bell lingo that takes the Spanish words and Americanizes them? And it really, in Taco Bell, in the Taco Bell Dictionary, it really is Dilla. They advertise quesadilla as quesadilla in their commercials. They don't say quesadilla. Have you ever, if you didn't heard quesadilla on television, would you not think twice about it? I guess I would, yeah. That's why the entire interaction was so funny, because she looked at at Doug like he was an idiot. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you mean quesadilla? Yeah. And it was just so funny. And if you would have seen me, I exploded with laughter and like turned away and looked at like hid behind Bill Landis. Yeah. I mean, people, people pronounce things wrong all the time. Because um, if you work at Taco Bell, even if it is right. Dilla, 50 50 at least, and that's conservative, say right. Dia. So it was like it was the first time she's ever heard anybody say Dia. Right. Right, and again, we don't know we don't know the uh, Mexican food habits of people in Beloit, Wisconsin. But the condensation at two two or three in the morning was what really uh, added to the event. So anyway, Taco Bell, if you would like to sponsor uh, the Buckeye Talk podcast after that interaction, first of all, you could answer our question: Is it Dia or Dilla? And second of all, if you want to drop like a couple hundred bucks or some free taco certificates on us or whatever, we'll do a real ad for you. Um, Okay, we're going to switch topics a little bit. We are going to get to some of your questions uh, at the end of the podcast, but we are now going to draw up what we like to call the Big Ten playoff doomsday scenario, and Bill Landis is very excited about this (laughs) because it's kind of like doing math equations. Um, Who should explain? You. Just it's a monologue. You explain it. I'm going to go lay down for five minutes while Doug does this. I think I know this stuff. It's mostly interesting to think about ahead of time because it never does happen. Um, and so you don't get to talk about it in the moment. And I know I've, I've twisted myself into playoff and BCS pretzels and stuff for 10 years. It's what I do. Um, what if this? What if that? What if you end up choosing between nine two-loss teams for the second playoff spot in the BCS system? And, of course, it never happens. Um, but here's a scenario that I do not think is impossible. And I wrote after the game, hey, Ohio State, get ready to see Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship game because even though Wisconsin has two losses and Nebraska has none, it is very easy for Wisconsin to get to the Big Ten Championship game out of the West. All Wisconsin has to do is win out and have Nebraska lose one other game. And Nebraska is playing at Ohio State. So that's very possible. Um, Wisconsin's schedule is tough, but 
they would have the tiebreaker and be a two-loss West champion. I, for the meantime, I'm going to assume that's what's going to happen because I do think Wisconsin is better than Nebraska and Iowa. Do you guys agree with that? Do you think Wisconsin is better than Nebraska and Iowa, or do you think that's like a, a dog? And maybe you'd throw Northwestern in there. I don't know. Northwestern's looked good recently. They were horrible at the beginning of the year. Is it a dog fight in the West, or do you think Wisconsin's probably the best team? I can't imagine. Like Wisconsin, like we just discussed, is really good. Um, I think they're certainly better than Iowa and Northwestern. I haven't watched Nebraska enough to know whether or not they're undefeated is for real, but I would assume and pretty confidently that Wisconsin's better than every other team in the West. I mean, Wisconsin and Nebraska were both in dogfights on Saturday. Wisconsin's was against Ohio State, and Nebraska's was against Indiana. Can we say street fight instead of dogfight, please? Can we rewind that? Can you just drop in street instead of dog? <coughs> sure. on top of that? That's dog Urban Meyer always says street fight. Yes, I think that Wisconsin's by far the best team in the West. So here's the brief scenario. Wisconsin wins the West and gets to the Big Ten Championship as a 10-2 and team, 7-2 and uh, in the Big Ten. For the purposes of this argument, well, Ohio State and Michigan are undefeated and meet each other on November 26th. Let's just say Ohio State wins, but it's really not that much different no matter who wins. Uh, Michigan finishes 11-1 and with a home win over Wisconsin. Ohio State is now 12-0, and probably ranked, certainly ranked no lower than two. Could yep. be number one by then because I think they could even leapfrog Alabama if they beat if Ohio State-Michigan is an undefeated game. Yeah. So number one or number two, Ohio State goes to play Wisconsin. And if Wisconsin's 10-2 and two in that scenario uh, and they run through the West and their only losses are to Ohio State-Michigan, I'm going to guess Wisconsin is something like number eight. Yeah, could be even lower. I mean, it all depends on what happens, but top ten for sure. Top ten for sure. And now Wisconsin wins. And the Big Ten is left with an 11-2 and two Wisconsin team as the Big Ten champ with losses to Ohio State and Michigan. A 12-1 and Ohio State team that was either number one or number two in the country and just lost and is not the Big Ten champ. And an 11-1 and Michigan team that lost to Ohio State, didn't make the championship game, but by the way, has a win over the Big Ten champion, Wisconsin, when they played each other. Again, this is 11-2 and Wisconsin, 12-1 and Ohio State, 11-1 and Michigan. What happens how does the playoff committee deal with that? Do you think that the Big Ten could somehow get two teams in under that scenario out of the four? Is it possible that the Big Ten acknowledged as probably one of the top three conferences for sure? And I think you could put those three teams in the mix among probably the best six in the country in that scenario. None of them get in? What is what or and it, and if it's just one, is it the conference champ that has two losses? And split with Ohio State and lost to Michigan. Is it somehow Ohio State that split with Wisconsin but isn't the conference champ? Or is it somehow Michigan who didn't even get there but only has one loss and beat the conference champ? I know this is making your head spin. What would happen? I don't know how the committee would go about deciding that. What did you just say? (laughs) (laughs) That was nine minutes of uh, what ifs. I don't see if this plays out exactly, exactly the way you just laid it out. I don't see a scenario in which Wisconsin is the team that gets left out. Granted, they'd be a two-loss conference champion um, making the playoff, which is something we haven't seen yet in the first two years of the college football playoff. But I think the other thing to consider is this. So Wisconsin would have two losses by a combined two touchdowns to two teams that have one loss, Ohio State and Michigan. And I think that people who make the decisions on the college football playoff would be having the same conversation we just had 15 minutes ago about Ohio State-Wisconsin. 
and that Wisconsin lost because some guy on the offensive line had a holding penalty when they were going in for a game-winning field goal. And it's people. It's not computers deciding this now. It's people. And I think in their heads they can justify that as Wisconsin should have won that game. This fluky thing happened. That's not as big of a hang-up maybe as we're envisioning. So Wisconsin gets it. And in this scenario, we've got to also dissect what does a loss and a win mean. It's just information of whether or not you're better that day than the team you played, right? It's, mm-hmm. When you take it simple, all win and losses is just a record of showing who was better that day. So the question is, is Wisconsin, one of those losses, they'd get a rematch with, and in this scenario, they would win. So in one of those losses was Ohio State on the road with that fluky holding penalty that we just discussed. They beat Ohio State. Doesn't that first loss not count anymore? Well, but I mean, the, the one thing is, is, is that... The two games then between Ohio State and Wisconsin would have been played at Wisconsin and on a neutral field. And Ohio State went one and one in those games and never got a home game. And they won on the road. And again, I think in this scenario, we're assuming the Ohio State-Wisconsin rematch is also close. Yeah. 59 nothing can change a lot of minds either way. But right. if it was close, would that factor in? that? Well, Ohio, if Ohio State would have gotten a home game, then... Maybe we should, we have to, like, do you take that what if into consideration? In the BCS era of college football, there have been two lost teams in the national title game. Yes. And there are only two that make it. I don't think it's irrational or weird if a two team, two lost team was number four. Well, here, and here's the and, thing, but here, let me, this I think is an important point. And you made this earlier when we were, we had this previous discussion and decided let's confuse our podcast audience with it. <laughs> Bill, how's the timer on shutting this down? By this the is way? not confusing as I thought it would be. So Bill, far. Bill is the arbiter of when we get down the rabbit hole. Well, too it's much not as confusing because he's explaining it all by himself. What was happening was <laughs> I kept interrupting. Yeah. <laughs> but here, I think Ari makes a very interesting point. What if the decision of the committee is the Big Ten's too confusing? Forget them. And you said you think that's what happened to some degree in 2014 when they put in Ohio State at number four over either of the Big Twelve teams. Baylor and TCU, when they had a similar thing about head-to-head, better resume, all this stuff, the easy answer was don't put either of them in, put in Ohio State, and then Baylor and TCU are just lumped together as out. Could you find a way that you just leave out Wisconsin, Ohio State, and Michigan, lump them all together as they all beat each other one way or another, they're out, and your playoff is... SEC, ACC, Pac-12, and then a second team from one of those conferences, or maybe somebody in the Big 12 got it together. We don't know the context, but do you think that thinking, the we don't even want to think about it, leave them out thinking, could factor in? I think it definitely could factor in. I think they would need an excuse. They would need a 2014 Ohio State to point to and have some rational thinking of, Ohio State beat Wisconsin 59 to nothing. That's enough for us. Because they didn't come out and say we couldn't figure it out, so you can't. And they can't say that. They need to have a logical replacement. But I think if there was, like, for instance, if Houston was undefeated, right, or they had a, they had another team that they could put in there, and nobody would raise their arms up. Because if you have Western Michigan road the boat, <laughs> because if you have three teams that are equally confusing and two have arguments that you can't solve, then why would you pick the third team and then just leave it out? I think that's very, very, very... Could you imagine if Ohio State got left out and, like, TCU got in in 2014 and then Baylor didn't? Not only would they have to explain why they were chosen over Baylor, they'd have to be... Why even face the argument? I think there's something to that. Have they put too much... 
I, don't, I just feel like they've, they've put too much value on conference championships now to devalue Wisconsin if that were the case. Yeah. Because the thing, Baylor and TCU were co-Big 12 championship champions without playing a Big 12 championship game. And in this scenario we're creating, there's a Big 10 championship game for Wisconsin to win. And I think they, if the committee did what Ari just laid out and left all three of those teams out, I think they'd be going completely against everything they've been saying all along about how valuable a conference champion is. Unless they have all their four that have conference champions. Do you think two could get there'd in? Only three, though, wouldn't there? No, there'd be there's five power conferences five. if they would have had. Like the, the the thing I was wondering, I think I said like say again if we if we think that Ohio State Wisconsin imaginary game rematch in the Big Ten championship is number two versus number eight, could Wisconsin win and jump from eight to three, and Ohio State loses and only falls from two to four? Again, the context matters a ton. But Ohio State would be a one-loss team with a winner over a win over Oklahoma, a win over Michigan, a win over Wisconsin on the road, a win over. You still Nebraska. get credit for the win of the conference champion, right? You know, I mean, it's like, yeah. hey, yeah, we beat the conference champ that just beat us. But like, is that? Do you think? Because I'm I'm gonna look this up right now. That happened one year in the BCS where someone lost their conference title game and still went to the BCS championship game. It's not unprecedented for a team that well, loses in Alabama. Well, they, one uh, of them, they were the same division, so one. I'll, yeah. Um, it was, well, it was the same division in the national title game, so one of them had to have one of them didn't play. make it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now i got to look it up. I think it was like Nebraska or something one year, or... In the BCS era? In the BCS, like in the 90s. See, now I'm gonna, I feel stupid. Bill, you can add in the answer to this um, when I find it. Yeah, I'll edit it in. But, like, do you think... Could, do you think a... And a 12 and 1 Ohio State team that loses the Big Ten title game in any scenario still would have a strong playoff argument. Not even saying, would they get in the playoff? Could you make a strong playoff argument looking at this team so far, looking at the schedule we know they have played and will play? Could you make that argument? Could you fight for them in the committee room? Oh, you asked Bill. Go ahead. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, this entire conversation and why. Part of the reason why I didn't want to have it is because it's, it hinges so much on what else happens in every other conference in college football. Um, but yeah, a one-loss Ohio State team, a 12-1 Ohio State team that lost to a really good Wisconsin team in the conference championship certainly has an argument. But the only way they have the argument is if the other Big Ten team goes to. So you – okay. I don't think that they would have an argument if – like the team, over the champ, over a champ, yes. Wisconsin. No, I don't think they'd have. An they'd they'd have to be the second Big Ten team in the playoff for it to make sense. Yeah, I agree with that. I, yeah, again, and I think under this made-up scenario where we don't know anything about anybody else, if Wisconsin beats them narrowly and it's their only loss of the year, and they have a win over the Big Ten champ, I still think on the road. On the road, I think that you. I think it's very hard to beat a team twice in the same season. There it is. And I don't really know what the stats are, but if you go back and look, I bet you. There's not a lot of instances of being two and zero against the same team in the same year. So, like, kind of like with me and Bill and Madden, like he's never going to beat me twice in a row. Never. Okay, I found it. Okay. By the way, <laughs> I feel like you've got the hard to beat a team twice in the year story teed yeah. up for uh, the first week of December, baby. I also got dibs on Nebraska. Doesn't matter because that's the only thing I'm thinking about for the next week. <laughs> uh, in 2003, Oklahoma was the number one team in the country. And they got drubbed by Kansas State. Kansas State was number 13. They beat Oklahoma 35-7. to 
and the Big 12 championship game. And then Oklahoma went to the BCS national championship game and lost to LSU. Um, it's not even possible. I mean, that's one of those, I think, you know, it's when you are, when you're like an undefeated number one and you're clearly number one, you know, and then all of a sudden you lose and you have one loss and you fall back into the, the pack of one loss teams. And then you start breaking down all the one loss teams and you go, well, you know, they did just lose, but still they're this, they're this, they're this. You know, I mean, I, I do think um, Ohio State could have an argument in there, depending who else, because they're not going to be all these undefeated teams. You know, I mean, that's the other thing that I like to do every year is talk about what if there's nine undefeated teams? There never are. They're going to be yeah. non, we're talking about a two loss team getting in. There's definitely going to be teams with losses that get in the playoff. There have been every year, every year. obviously. So an Ohio State team that suffers its first loss in the Big Ten title game could be certainly, I think, in that mix. So there is precedent for it. I think that was the year that the uh, the title was split, that, that LSU won the BCS title, but uh, USC, a, a, got USC won the AP year. title. Yeah, that's right. It was a screwed-up year. But, I mean, that's 35-7. to 7. It wasn't even close. Well, that can't happen. Like, in the scenario we're talking about, like, that kind of game can't happen. Ohio State can't get killed in a Big Ten title game, I think, and when it has to be close. It has to be what it was the other night in Madison. This is the overtime, but it has to be, I think, probably a one-score game. Because the committee is smarter than dumb, dumb voters who did yeah. that. Because they're dumb. Ugh, they're so dumb. Okay. No offense, Bill. Um, Sorry, I'm dumb. Let's take some questions uh, from our peeps. We are always happy to get them on uh, Twitter. You can follow us at BillLandis25, at Ari Wasserman. And at Doug Maurice. Um, and we're going to go, my first question, I think this is a really good one. We might need to spend a little time on this. It's from uh, at Cam Duffner. Uh, Cameron Duffner is a guy I follow um, just because he cracks me up. He's like a really funny dude. I think he's still an Ohio State student. And he and I talk about Designated Survivor, that Kiefer Sutherland show. Are you guys watching that at all? I watched uh, half an episode. All right. If anybody listening to this podcast Watch his designated survivor. Tweet me at Doug Maurice after you listen to this and tell me what you think of this theory. Kiefer Sutherland blew up the Capitol because he wanted to be president. Ooh. I'd, okay. watch, I'd watch that now. So, like, I said that and my wife was like, that's what everybody thinks. And I was like, really? Everybody else, like, thinks that could be a thing? So if you already thought that, tell me that I'm way behind on this. But if you haven't thought it, tell me what you think of that idea. Like, at the end of season four... That's the answer. I think it would blow your mind. Okay, Cam Duffner, we don't speak only about designated survivor. He has a great question. Who should get the most carries, should, between JT Barrett, Mike Weber, and Curtis Samuel? Uh, I feel like the I feel like the answer to this is obvious. I think the obvious answer is Curtis Samuel. Is he not the best player on the offense? Well, just want to give him the ball the most? Okay, I think I think the second part of that sentence is obvious. He's the best player on the offense. I think the, the quibble is... Does that necessarily mean he should get the most carries? You ready for me to blow your beautiful mind? Sure. I would say JT Barrett because I like the design plays. They run with him better than the way that they use Curtis Samuel. I think that they, I think Curtis Samuel is a better player than JT Barrett from a natural running standpoint. But I think what, Ohio like, State like just like read option plays. Yeah, I just think that Ohio State's at their best when they're running read option plays. And I know that Samuel's explosive, but like when JT, when Ohio State is <coughs> terrible offensively and can't throw, what do they do? They don't just say, let's, yeah. let's get the ball to Samuel and just keep it simple with our best player. They run with JT. 
So isn't that Urban Meyer's answer of who would you rather have the ball running? I don't know. I'm not a doctor. No, I, I think I bought the thing, and it's like it's an overplayed <laughs> it's an overplayed storyline when quarterbacks run the ball a lot. But I yeah. just, I mean, it's like what is the answer if there? JT if, Barrett doesn't have to run the ball 20 times, then he shouldn't run the ball 20 times and give it to Curtis Samuel. But the answer is in tough times. Urban Meyer has his preference of who he wants the ball in his hands with, and it's JT Barrett. But his Barrett. preference doesn't mean that it's right. I mean, I, like, what <laughs> they ran him a ton against Michigan State, and they lost. Yeah, I, I agree with both of you. Follow me, brought the heat. I feel there. like this could be. I mean, like I think I almost feel like how Ohio State should divvy up the running game might be like our podcast three weeks from now. Yeah. Um, here's the thing you the thing you said, Bill, of Ohio State shouldn't have to or right shouldn't have to have JT Barrett run it twenty run times. it twenty times. Yeah. What if the answer is the way it is designed? Who they are, whenever they play anybody decent, they do have to have JT Barrett run it 20 times for them to be Ohio State. Like the idea of, well, they should be doing these other things so they don't have to do that. If that's the thing they do, maybe there is no world. Like if they didn't do that, they wouldn't be who they are. And we'd be saying, why did they throw it 53 times? JT was 21 of 53. (laughs) That's ridiculous. He only ran it four times. Like it's not the who the best runner is. It's who do you think you would be your favorite to run it? Who should have the most carries? And, and I, in this offense, I bet JT Barrett's the answer for that question. And no one's answer was the Big Ten's leading rusher, Mike Weber, who we said no. yesterday. Oh, like wow, look at Ohio State. Their run game's so good. Their backup tailback leads the Big Ten in rushing. <laughs> Am I crazy? Curtis Samuel started against Wisconsin. Am I crazy in thinking that Mike Weber lacks explosiveness? Like. I don't know, like, and I don't mean to be. When Ezekiel Elliott carried the ball last year, I was like, "Oh, this could be a big one." Or whenever Curtis Samuel Did you gets think out that when he was a freshman, like Mike Weber's a freshman, and like I think has unfair expectations thrown on him yeah, to so be I'll as good as a guy who's leading the NFL in rushing right now. Right. Okay, that's it's right. A high bar. I'm not saying he needs to be as Ezekiel Elliott, but what I'm saying is in the context of the people that we're discussing him with, which is Curtis Samuel and JT Barrett, I don't think that we should. I don't think he deserves to be considered yet. Because people are like, is this the best running back, oh, freshman running back Ohio State's had ever? And do you and think that's ridiculous? I think that is ridiculous. Right. You dropped Maurice Claret on him. I think you had that argument pretty quickly. Yeah, And, and it's just, he's good, and maybe he will be a top 15, top 20 draft pick in two years. But right now, I don't think he is the weapon that comes to mind when you think of this year's team. Carries so far for Ohio State this season. Mike Weber, 94. JT Barrett, 91. Curtis Samuel, 62. Um, great question. Okay, um, this is another really good question from at Dave Grot eighty seven. Dave Grot House is his name. With the latest performance from Damon Webb, do you think Eric Smith making a push for more playing time is possible? Damon Webb seems to be the uh, Joe Bowser of this team. Yeah, right. I guess people listening to this podcast know Damon Webb's a safety. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. Doesn't he kind of seem to be like? The scapegoat every year. There's always one player that is like the trigger player, and at least on my Twitter, everybody's like, "How is Damon Webb still out there? Has he been playing terribly?" I can't really tell. I mean, he. I think he's on the hook for the touchdown that Wisconsin scored um, on Saturday night. It was like a throw to the slot receiver, sort of in the seam. And I asked, I asked Malik Hooker and Gary on Conley both about that play, and they're both just like, "I don't know, wasn't on my side." I was like, "Okay." Um, I think that Eric Smith is not quite what they want from a coverage standpoint. And I could be completely wrong because he hasn't played. 
just going based off what I know about him in high school and sort of like he likes to be a big hitter and stuff like that. And Damon Webb's a cornerback playing safety, which I think they prefer. And maybe I'm wrong on Eric Smith, and he could be that kind of cover guy, but I think that's why you haven't seen Eric Smith is because they think Damon Webb is a better cover guy. Because they'll play their two best safeties, but yet – and they don't really talk free and strong safety. They sort of talk, right, the side they play on. and I mean, their responsibilities can often be the same the yeah, way they play defense. depends on how the offense lines But up. yet they do find two different type of guys. Nobody would say that Tyvis Powell and Vaughn Bell were the same player. Right. And – it does seem that Eric Smith is more like the Malik Hooker guy right, bit, than bit, he yeah. is the Damon Webb guy. Yeah. That they would rather have maybe a bigger – they have a bigger safety who's maybe more of a center field guy, a hitter, a bigger rangier guy. And then they have a guy who's basically a corner. And Tyvis Powell is a bigger safety and Vaughn Bell is basically a corner. Yeah. So if Malik Hooker's a bigger guy and Damon Webb is basically a corner, if you're going to replace Damon Webb, you need to replace him with basically a corner. Which makes me think that if – and I don't think Damon Webb has been bad this year. I think he's like had a couple blunders on plays. If they were going to make a change, I would not be surprised if it was to Jordan Fuller and not Derek Smith. Or could they even make Damon Arnett, who is their fourth Who's corner their right now, and their nickelback. But again, are you going to turn a redshirt freshman into a safety in the middle of the year? Right. Like, from uh, that the guy's a corner. Um, so, again, I don't think we're, we're not saying that Damon Webb has been terrible. We're just no. saying this is a really good defense. And I did think there were a couple plays uh, against Wisconsin, especially the touchdown, where at least to our naked eye, and we don't know the film, the breakdown, however it goes, it seemed like he was the guy on the hook for the big play. Yeah. Another excellent question here. People bringing it at Zach SF. This is DJ Zach Moore spinning Ooh. tunes for us. After six games, how does this year's team compare to the title-winning team of 2014 at the halfway point of that season? And again, we were just talking about that 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 Penn State game was sort of right at that point. They were five and one going into Penn State. So before Penn State, I, my oh okay, you know, my initial thing would be I think people feel a lot better about this team than they did in 2014 because I feel like in 2014 there was still stuff lingering from the Virginia Tech loss. They weren't even in the top ten in the country. It was we were saying the whole year. There's no way they're making their playoff. It was just a different expectation. At this level. point, and they were fighting. The middle of the year in 2014, they were still fighting back from the Virginia Tech loss and trying to prove they were really good. I think at this point, I think I was getting into arguments with people about how crazy they were for thinking Ohio State had a chance of being in the playoff. That was the first year. It was kind of unprecedented. We didn't know how they were going to think. Maybe I was still in BCS mode a little bit. I was like, they lost. Are you crazy? This is not a good team. Right. From a not a good team, not a good enough team to be in the playoff discussion. They were coming into that. Remember in 2014, they had that string where they kept scoring 50 points? Yeah. They scored 66, 50, 52, and 56 coming into that Penn State game. But who was the competition? Oh, it was terrible. It was Kent State, <laughs> Kent State Cincinnati, Maryland, and Rutgers. Yeah, that was it, – it felt like – I think we weren't believing what we were seeing because we were thinking about the Virginia Tech loss and we were saying, okay – this redshirt freshman quarterback's playing really well, but it was against nobody. Yeah, the only good team they played, they lost. Right. So how good are they really? And then they played Penn State, and it was like, okay, well, this is the real team. Yeah. Right. And it was a real team in both ways in that, okay, they're not just going to put up 50 on everybody. It's not so easy. They're not world beaters. But, didn't they go but back also to, they found a way. They scored then, 50 the week after. And then they went back to scoring 50. <laughs> yeah. And then last year they didn't score 50 a single time. Remember before last year when we thought they were going to average more than 50? Okay, moving on. <laughs> All right, another one from Luke A. Davis on Twitter. Thank you, Luke. 
Was the run defense in the first half against Wisconsin a function of lack of gap discipline, over-pursuit, or less hooker support of less Malik Hooker coming up to fill that? Can I use a lifeline on that? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I feel like we should call Luke Davis and ask him what he thinks. Uh, what was the first part? Gap support? Gaps. Gap discipline over pursuit. It's like all of the above, and I don't want to pretend like I understand defensive line scheme and gap support and all that stuff, but that's all the stuff they were saying. From my naked naked eye, not knowing anything about football, I would say that it definitely felt like there was an adjustment in the second half to bring Malik Hooker down closer to the line of scrimmage. And maybe you guys felt and saw that too, but he was definitely flying to the line and shut down some of those jet sweeps. Um, but I think it was a combination of all three, and I haven't watched the game. Uh, you were recording this on Monday. I haven't watched the game yet. By the time you listen to it, I'll have watched it. Um, but I feel like maybe the run defense wasn't quite as poor as maybe I thought it was and some other people did at first blush. I think the jet sweep killed them, yep. and the Corey Clement long run killed them. And other than those two things, which like you don't erase, but I think they might have actually done a pretty good job of stopping Corey Clement. In general, I always feel like to run against Ohio State, you can't just run wide on them. Too many teams just try, try to run sweeps and stuff, straight up run wide, and they just get murdered by safeties and linebackers and fast ends tracking them down. Yeah. I always feel like Ohio State's defense is so fast, if you want to run against them, you either have to run up the middle or run something that uses their aggressive, aggression against them. So Corey Clement, I went and talked to Wisconsin guys after the game, talked a lot about being patient and waiting for holes. And that, to me, is a little bit of like trying to get that over-pursuit to work against them. Again, I think that's what the jet sweep does. If you maybe fake one way, do some misdirection, block one way, come back the opposite way, they're so aggressive and so fast. If you want to beat them, you have to get them going the wrong direction or get over-pursuing and cut back into a hole that you wait for the opening. So um, I do think you can't just run straight up on them. You might be able to pound them up the middle. Try to get four or five yards a chunk straight up the middle, get north-south immediately, or do something to hit a backside of stuff. And I think yeah. the jet sweep did a little bit of that. Yeah, dude. All right, one more question that I have. Um, Aria's a good one, too. All right, this is a good, a good big-picture one from Lil Jim Lambert 7. Lil Jim Lambert 7 asks, so cool, is JT the most underappreciated Buckeye ever? I don't know about ever. I haven't been covering the program long enough to know about ever. Um, I don't know if is he underappreciated. He's like a Heisman Trophy candidate, like underappreciated by the fan base. Maybe he was getting criticized a lot, and I felt really slow for the way he was throwing the ball. But I don't know. I don't think. Do you think he's underappreciated? Uh, no, I don't. Um, I think there are, I mean, it's like one of those things. I think there are a lot of underappreciated guys that, like, we're not thinking about right now because they're so underappreciated. Yeah. Um, you know, I always thought, like, a guy, uh, I think the most underappreciated guys sometimes are the seniors who come back, who could leave and come back, and then maybe don't have quite as good of a year as they had when they were younger. Like, a guy that leaves to mind to me, to me is James Laurinaitis who I thought was a tremendous player here, was a three-year starter at linebacker. And like his senior year, when he could have gone to the NFL, I felt like people were sort of wondering like, well, he doesn't make enough big plays and he's not like dynamic enough. And it's like, he just makes 130 tackles a year. Um, So I think the one thing, and I think maybe James Laurinaitis and JT are both similar in that they both do their job. They aren't particularly flashy. We had a blowing up linebacker, blowing up ball carriers, linebacker discussion earlier this year in a podcast. Yeah. Um, 
JT Barrett's not Braxton. Someone else has made this point. He's not Braxton with his legs. He's not Cardale with his arm. He's in between on both. He just gets it done. So if it's if it's not, and you're the guy who, Bill, you're the guy who wrote that he's not flashy enough to win the Heisman, yeah. which I completely agree with. So I think maybe that's where your underappreciated comes from. If underappreciated means not flashy, not making big plays, just kind of doing your job. Do you think he's underappreciated? The most underappreciated player in Ohio State history is 1953 John Henry. That's completely made up. I've got no idea what I'm talking about. All right. What's the question you have? Did you have a good question? Oh, me. Uh, Yeah, one second. Let me pull it up. Hum. Mm, There. Okay. It's fine. I can edit it up. From Radu Marinescu. Oh, I don't know that guy. You know, is that guy? Yeah, he tweets us a lot. Yeah. What's up, buddy? Uh, At... Ray, R-A-D-U-M-27. I'm not even going to try because I know what it's like to have your name butchered. Ari. Um, did the Buckeyes find its passing game at the end of the Wisconsin game? No. Yeah, I don't think so. I think he, he, JT Barrett completed nine of his last ten. The throw to Don Terry Wilson was really good, and it was easy to compare it to Devin Smith. I thought that was an awesome throw and a good play. Um, but I still have questions about their passing game. I don't think it was the Bing Bang Boom passing game. I mean, the whole thing yeah. about like JT being a distributor, Bing Bang Boom. That's there's not that's not what's happening. Right. The big plays were JT like scramble, look downfield, direct guys, make thirty yard throws off a scramble drill. Those were their three biggest plays, and the one Noah Brown touchdown. Yeah, which was like a nice precise route in the corner, and Noah Brown made a nice catch. But I mean, unless that's what their throwing game is going to be. Unless their throwing game is going to be, we have a quarterback who keeps play alive, keep your routes alive, make a play, but the bing, bang, boom passing That's game? That's what we no. thought it was going to be, yeah. What do you uh, think? I agree. No, I agree completely. Sometimes you guys just do, you nail it. I don't have anything to add. So. I feel like you didn't answer any of the questions, man. I don't know what you want from me, Bill. I'm just trying to live my life. All right. That's, <laughs> that's Buckeye Talk, uh, brought to you by the Double Dilla. Um, I'm gonna my new. If I was a rapper, I think my my rap name would be Dougie Dilla. Um, Dougie Dilla. I think you should have said the A word. I think today would have been fine. I think I you should have just because it would have been pandemonium. I'm I'm gonna go back. I'm just gonna give you an A word cut on its own, and you can edit it back in. All right. Uh, thanks for listening to the latest edition of Buckeye Talk all day every week. Cleveland.com slash OSU is your home for the best Buckeye coverage. So uh, for Ari Wasserman and for Bill Landis, I am Doug Maurice. Thanks for listening to Buckeye Talk.